Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Well, hello. It's a whole new week. I can't believe it. Time is but I believe that summer is almost over. Yikes. Anyway, wherever you are, I hope you're being safe, and I'm so glad that you're here listening today because we have the fabulous thriller author Brad Parks on. He was on a few months ago with this quantum physics book that I was like, oh. Anyway, we got really sciencey last time, so who knows where we'll go this time. I'm glad you're here. If you have not read Brad Park's books yet. I will read his bio here so you can get to know him. International best-selling author Brad Parks is the only writer to have won the Seamus, Nero, and Lefty Awards, three American of three of America crime fiction's most prestigious prizes. His novels have been published in 15 languages and have won critical acclaim across the globe, including stars of stars from every major pre-publication review outlet. I really can read today, guys, but it's Monday, so a little slack for me. <laughs> a graduate of Dartmouth College, Parks is a former journalist from the Washington Post and the Star-Ledger in Newark, New Jersey. He's now a full-time novelist living in Virginia with his wife and two school-aged children, a former college a cappella singer and community theater enthusiast. Parks has been known to burst into song whenever no one was thoughtful enough to muzzle him. His favorite writing haunt, well, probably used to be Hardy's, <laughs> wherever good-natured staff members would suffer his presence for many hours a day, and he can often be found working on his next novel. I did put a link to his website right there on Blog Talk, so you can click that anytime and sign up for his newsletter or check out his blog. There's lots of great content over there, and I don't want to delay anymore. You there, Brad? I am here. Hello, Lisa. And I, I just I have to dispute one thing you said right off the bat. You say summer okay. is almost over, and uh, no, not here in Virginia. It's not. It's it's about ninety-one degrees with a real feel of one hundred and ninety <laughs> where we are today. So uh, oh summer is still gosh. going strong. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're in the heat awful. of summer. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's it's like an armpit here at least for another couple of weeks. Okay, and then you'll start to see fall happening, right? You have Maybe. seasons uh, that, there. Allegedly. At this point, it's, <laughs> it's only a rumor at this point, Lisa. <laughs> you'll believe it when you see it. <laughs> exactly. Well, you have a new book out called Unthinkable. You want to tell everybody about it? Yeah, sure. So Unthinkable features an ordinary, regular, stay-at-home dad by the name of Nate Lovejoy. And uh, he is faced with an unthinkable choice, basically. And I'm just going to – I'm going to go ahead and spoil uh, – this is like, you know, the end of the first chapter. So it's a, it's a minor spoiler, but I think you're, you're going to be okay with that. His, his choice okay. is basically this. Either he has to allow a chain of events that will lead to the death of a billion people, or he has to kill his own wife. <sighs> ah. I know. And now Lisa is like going, you know, like edging away from the phone a little <laughs> bit going, oh, maybe I maybe I don't want to talk to this guy. But I so I should be clear, like right off the top, Lisa, I have a wonderful relationship with my own wife. And the reason <laughs> I wrote this book is because to me, like I, I really started with, OK, what is I, I have this this stay at home dad character and I, and I used to be a stay at home dad myself. And so I really like this guy. And of course, as authors, we think, what is the worst possible thing we can do to this character we really, really like, right? And in right. this case, uh -huh. it just 
the first the first thought that popped into my head was, oh my God, mate, what if I made him kill his wife? And then, of course, because I'm a crime fiction thriller author, my next thought was, wow, that sounds promising. And I and I took it from there. But um, but really, this this is not the kind of book. Like I I know I've I've had some friends who I, I tell them the premise of the book, and then they they kind of look at me and they go, Brad, how's your marriage? And I swear to you, it's fine. We're very happy, you know, especially, yes, after a year and a half into COVID, like I promise this is not some kind of wish fulfillment. Um, this is because this is, is truly the worst thing I could possibly think of. Um, and it's also, the, you know, I love doing this to characters where you give them two choices, both of which are completely awful. And that's what Nate is facing right. in this book. <laughs> yes. As we were constantly going, how can I make this worse? It's not raining. <laughs> Let's make it rain. <laughs> yeah, I call it, uh, I call it the anti-Hippocratic Oath. So, you know, if the Hippocratic Oath, <laughs> the doctor's taste is do no harm, the anti-Hippocratic that we as authors take is do lots of harm. So, yes. like, for example, How that, much more that harm? Nate, <laughs> yes, that Nate is a stay-at-home dad in this book is, is in part because, like, okay, I'm going to make this guy save the world. And the only way I can possibly think to make this more difficult is if he has to do it with two toddlers in tow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, how much of how much of that based on on your real life experience? Because you have been living through the plague with kids that are doing school distance learning at home. How are you? Yeah, how are uh, you well, functioning? We've, we've been doing all of the above. Yeah, we. Um, <laughs> So to, to be candid, I, I do say in the, uh, in the acknowledgments of this book that, uh, you know, we, we have successfully made it however far, and no one has thrown anybody out the window. Um, so Yay. that, to me, is a triumph, <laughs> right? Like a total yes. triumph of – Huge uh, win. We, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, not only do we love each other, we must like each other uh, for sure. Um, but honestly, it still – it doesn't compare to, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit older now. They're in school and everything like that. It really doesn't compare to those toddler years, you know, in terms of just the, the overall grind uh, that I, believe me, I have not forgotten. I, I think some, some uh, much older parents, generally of the grandparent age, you know, would, would, would look at you in the grocery store when you have like that. So I, I made Nate's kids three years old and 18 months because I remember those oh. being just the the toughest ages, right? Uh, and yes. our, our kids were actually 18 months apart. So we had one of, you know, we had a three-year-old and an 18-month-year-old. And, you know, and, and, you know so, and I would be, you know, slapping them both around and, you know, having them scream at me and all this kind of stuff. And, and some grandmotherly sort would say, oh, cherish these years. They go so fast. <laughs> and, you know, you, and you want to look at her like, lady, the last 15 minutes have felt like three years. There ain't nothing going fast. So, I, want, I wanted to kind of, you know, I, so I, I think I put in Nate, like, those kind of sensibilities of, like, I mean, because, you know, I, I, you know I, I know you had children as well, or still have them, of course, but, like, like you know, like, I, I, there's, a, there's a line Nate has in this book, like, something like, uh, you know, being a stay-at-home parent is um, thankless, monotonous, dreary, joyful work, right? And it's all of those things. I mean, yeah, it's incredibly it's all joyful. all of those things. Uh, but it's also incredibly hard. And so I kind of wanted a, a character who reflected that reality. 
I love that. And as the as the book unfolds and he realizes, you know, that this is his mission, is he still being stay-at-home dad? So he has to go do all of these things with the diaper bag and the car and kids in tow. <laughs> The diaper bag, the pack and play. I mean, yeah, you I remember all that kind of gear you had to slap around. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh-huh. and that's, which was fun, you know, because this is this is my eleventh thriller, so I've I've definitely had a a wide range of protagonists over the years, and yeah, this is this is the first one I I sent anywhere with A and D cream in his bag. I mean, for <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, but it does it does add layers of complication and difficulty, which is another thing as authors that we love to mm-hmm. do, right? Like how can we make things more right. complicated for our characters? And, you know, to have Nate, you know, in as much as he's a thriller protagonist, there are, of course, going to be things he needs to learn, things he needs to do, uh, you know, uh, enigmas he needs to unravel. And, yeah, sometimes he has to do it with his children, with him. And, you know, and uh, <laughs> it, it's a um, – you know, but that's also there's a level of danger there too of anything. I mean, let's face it, and this this goes to you know a, a being a parent now with my children, even if they're older. The things that happen in the world when they're happening to just you, you can kind of go, well, okay, whatever. I'm I'm a grown up. I can handle this or not, uh, whatever. But when they're right. happening to your children, it's like, well, okay, now this mm-hmm. stuff is serious now, right? Like now we're you right. know, and so I think For they sure. often has to deal with that. Um, and that, that is definitely one of the sources of tension in the novel. Yeah. And I know I write paranormal books. So I always have some kind of magical thing that, well, we think doesn't exist. <laughs> and, and <laughs> so I'm, I'm always trying to make the real parts as real as possible. So it's really easy right. to suspend your disbelief. And I feel like in a thriller, it would be extra level terrifying for me to be with a character who also is trying to protect their children. Um, I would think that that would ratchet up the tension quite a bit just because it feels more real than, say, a police procedural that I'm reading. I'm a police officer. I know they have lots of weapons and bulletproof vests, you know, so it's not quite the same kind of, you know, edge of your seat fingernail than somebody who's carrying a bag they used to have to slip around, you know? Do you think that that really added to the tension of the book? Oh, yeah, for sure. And then the other thing that, that children do, of course, is, okay, so here I have a man who thinks he, he might possibly have to kill his wife. And he, he starts to be, obviously, he's trying to keep that secret from her. You don't just come home and say, hey, honey, right. guess what? There are some people <laughs> who think I might have to kill you. You know, and uh, and then he also becomes aware that that it it seems like his wife is keeping some secrets from him, which is a a source of tension. Mm. But then what does the very loquacious, very precocious three year old toddler do but narc on daddy to mommy, you know, and and say things like, mommy, I I saw daddy with a gun. What was you know, why does daddy need a gun? You know, know, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. I mean, like, again, make take every character, right? Every character is the protagonist of their own book, if if you will. And that three-year-old, yeah, she's seeing stuff, and she's reporting right back to her mom, as three-year-olds tend to do. So I kind of wanted to make it as, uh, as, as rich and complicated as family life so often is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It sounds fantastic. And, um, 
I also wanted to ask about this one. Is is, is there going to be any more for Nate, or is this just a standalone? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, that is always uh, certainly an interesting question. So that uh, I can't I can't answer that without giving away too much plot. Uh, oh, but okay. suffice it to say, yeah, suffice it to say there is a part of this premise that is infinitely repeatable when, once you get to the end. And uh, certainly, okay. actually, it, it, is, it is being pitched right now uh, like they are. I mean, it, and I don't know if you've had the experience of dealing with Hollywood, Lisa, but I, I, am, I, <laughs> I am eyes wide open as to what, how, how far away this is from getting anywhere near any kind of screen. But it is being pitched right now to uh, the, the streaming market as episodic television and definitely Love with it. a season two, three, and four. And, you know, so were that to, uh, to happen, I can for sure guarantee you there will be a book two and a book three and a book four. Uh, but we're, you know, right, we're, kind of, right. we're kind of waiting to see at this point. Uh, but, yeah, there, there is an aspect of this that is uh, that I, I, Nate and his wife, uh, Jenny, um, could, could find more, more trouble and excitement down the road for sure. Oh, love it. And then we'll get to watch the kids grow up. <laughs> of course. Which, and, and we know, you know, <laughs> if, the, if, if this does get to the screen, like, who will everyone's favorite characters be? Well, it, it won't be the grownups. It'll be the kids. And, and, and God knows if, I, right. if, if, the, uh, if, the, if the Hollywood people decide they, they want to humanize it a little more and give the family a dog, um, you know, which is not oh, something I could. Yeah, I, I, that was like, that was one layer I couldn't go and do to this poor guy i'm like okay he's got two toddlers that's enough there's only so much that yeah. one man can take but but i'm sure you know, they'll, you know hollywood will give him a dog at which point the dog will become everybody's favorite character but that's okay as long as as long as they're watching okay. and reading, right exactly exactly <laughs> So I wanted to touch a little bit on some of your other books. So you've written some standalones, and you also had a whole series, the Carter Ross series. Are going to be more books than Correct. that? Uh, I hope so. So, there, yeah, there are, there are six right now in the Carter Ross series. And for those who don't know, he is an investigative newspaper reporter who writes about crime in Newark, New Jersey, a place where, of course, there happens to be quite a bit of crime. So there's never any lack of things for Carter to be investigating for sure. Uh, I have not been writing him the last few years, but I, I certainly haven't ruled out writing him. Um, he is a, okay. I, I, at this point, Lisa, I don't know, is he a big part of me? Am I a big part of him? I, I have a, a little bit of a hard time knowing where, where one of us ends and the other begins. I, I myself used to be an investigative newspaper reporter in Newark, New Jersey. So there's obviously a lot of me and Carter, <laughs> but, um, and, and when I'm away from him, I do, I miss him, you know, like you create this character, you spend six books with them. And then it's like, man, I'm not, I'm not hanging out with him as much anymore, but uh, it, right. it is certainly on my list, on my list. So you've had some serious characters as well. Um, and I, yes. I'm sure you feel that, that same kind of affinity for them. I mean, they become, doesn't it? I, and I know, by the way, it sounds totally goofy when we say stuff like this, but don't they become friends? Yes. Yes, they do. And interesting um, with the new 
thing with Patreon that's going on. A lot of authors are, are over there and I have a Patreon community now too, in which one of their one of their perks is a short story and they get to vote. They get to nominate and vote who gets a short story. And I have to tell you, as an author, it has been so much fun because I have an excuse to go and hang out with these old characters who, you know, yeah. I ended their series five years ago and, but they picked that book. So I get to go back and read a few chapters and come up with an idea and get back in their skin. So, you know, short stories are another way to go that you could, you know, check back in and see how Carter's doing without that huge yeah. commitment of, you know, a book. But um, I, I do understand what you're saying because it's so nice to go visit them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> No, the world is already built. It's it's all familiar and comfortable. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that Patreon. I mean, that's that's a lot of fun because you, you also feel like sometimes, and this is this is writer self doubt and paranoia that obviously we are all as writers filled with these things. But For sometimes sure. <laughs> when you're writing a book, going yeah, I mean, my lord, layers upon layers. But you you know you you're when you're writing a book, you go God, is, is anybody going to want to read this thing? Is anybody going to care about this story? Right. And when you actually have readers ahead of time saying, yes, we want something like this and we care, it has to be just tremendously inspiring. Uh, I mean, that's, that's right, winning your sales right. as a writer. For sure, definitely. And and also to know that someone is eager to read it as you're writing yeah. it. Oh, it's always gosh. encouraging. <laughs> uh, as so as you, opposed to, yeah, I'm, it, I'm going to force this book on my uh, on my readership. <laughs> Yes, for sure. And and hope someone will buy it. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but you know, that's behind the rhetoric, and we're really not so insecure, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 not really no. Self-doubt. <laughs> Please. <laughs> What's that? Uh, so... <laughs> So I wanted to ask, since we were just talking about Carter, and you were a journalist, uh, what? how do you feel like it's a whole different muscle because journalism, you have to be married to facts. And in fiction, you have to remember that you're God and you get to make, you know, if you decide in this world cars fall out of the sky, then cars fall out of the sky. Right. Hard for you to turn off the journalist when you're writing fiction? It, it's definitely a, a different mindset. You know, I, I always joke that in in journalism, if you make stuff up, you get fired. And in right. fiction, if you don't make stuff up, you get sued. So it's definitely a, a different mindset there. Um, That's you know, true. Certainly, there are, there are elements of storytelling that cross over. It doesn't matter what kind of genre, subgenre, if we, if we can call journalism a, another genre of writing, um, you know, th- those kind of elements of in terms of building suspense and building characters and, and all that other kind of stuff, they, they all still apply. I think if anything, in, and especially in thrillers, you know, I, I always say people like their nonfiction to read like it's stranger than fiction, right? They want to go, wow, and that's actually that true. true. But, but they like their fiction to read like it could be true. You know, so right. I think there's a, oftentimes I am, I am taking that journalist eye, admittedly only into my own mind, but I'm, I'm kind of almost acting like I'm, I'm the journalist of the stuff that's happening in my brain. And then I'm just trying to accurately report 
what has really happened. So it, what's weird about me, well, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I should never preface a sentence. What's weird about me is, because, you know, then is this a 15-hour podcast? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, you know, I really do think of my books almost as things that have happened. You know, like, and, and I'll, I'll get talking with my editor or whatever, right. and, you know, and she'll ask a question. I'll be like, no, 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 it didn't happen that way. See, here's how it actually happened, right? <laughs> which, which, of course, is bizarre. Right, right. Because it, it's a made-up story. But, but to me, it's real, and just in the same way the characters are real. You know, like, I can, I can close my eyes and see them. Right. Like, you know, Nate is a guy, like, I know what he sounds like. I know what he thinks like. And, you know, same with his wife, Jenny, who's a, uh, she is a, a six foot tall, uh, ass kicking lawyer and um, a little, you know, and it's funny how, how characters come to you, right? Like in, in uh, Nate, I already made Nate about six foot four because I wanted to make him a former college swimmer for reasons that become obvious later oh, okay. in the plot and that's fine. Uh, but I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so now he's going to, you know, six foot four guy, you know, nice tall wife. Sure. Okay. So, Hey, yeah, sure. Make, make Jenny six feet tall. And back when I was a very, very young journalist, I was actually a sports writer. And my first gig when I was 14 years old and writing for the weekly hometown paper where I grew up was covering girls basketball. Right. So I'm like, okay, so she's a six foot tall woman. She must have played basketball at some point. And immediately the sentence came to me and I I might misquote myself something, but, um, you know, it's like, okay, so who is, who is Jenny? And actually I I have the book in front of me. So I, I, I was able, I'm able to turn to this, uh, this, uh, little short paragraph. When you're a six foot Mm -hmm. tall woman and you reach your adult height in the eighth grade, you get used to the stairs. And you either shrink your shoulders, put on flats, and pretend you really couldn't beat the boys at basketball, or you eventually learn to do what Jenny did. Carry yourself with pride, wear heels, and kick everyone's ass. Right? And that's who nice. Jenny is. And it all, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and it, you know, I just, I love it when a character kind of reveals themselves to you in that way early. And like, oh, yeah, she's like some of the, the young women who I covered playing girls basketball. Right? They were, they mm-hmm. were absolutely terrific athletes and you know, and uh, very self-assured. And yeah, they would, you know, go into a gym playing pickup and completely hold their own. Right. And it's like, okay, right. that's who Jenny is. And I, and I love it when, it, when, when a character, so like, I know who she is. So I could never then put her into a scene where suddenly she's being meek or apologetic or letting somebody have their way or, you know, like whatever, like, no, that's not who she is. And, you know, they, right. these books for me are often a, an exploration then of, okay, now that I know who she is, what is she going to do in this situation? What is she going to do in that situation? And many of the best twists in the novel actually just come out of answering that question, you know, like, okay, what would Jenny right. do next? Dropping her in that spot. Yeah, exactly. Well, we were just talking about your journalism and and the book writing. Have you ever considered writing like a a true crime or some kind of nonfiction that will be so crazy that we think it must be fiction? Do you <laughs> have you stumbled across stories like that where you're like, I could write a book about this? Yeah, and I I have not stumbled across it yet actually, and that is I. But I'm kind oh, of okay. on the lookout for it because I I would love to do that someday. But I think it, it does have to be the right story because I'm mindful of the fact that right. when it doesn't play out the way I want it to, I can't just make it up, right? And, um, right. you know, 
and it's also, you know, and it kind of needs to have, I think, something of a satisfying ending, you know, right? So, like, um, you know, in in our, in, yeah, I think in any kind of genre done. fiction, yeah, you know, or or something, or just at least there's a conclusion, right? You know, and, and we don't, right. as genre fiction writers, we don't necessarily have to give our readers a happy ending per se, but we do have to give them an ending. And so, like, for example, I got exactly. approached by a reader, yeah, a couple months ago who said, hey, I've got this great true crime thing, and it's about this guy, and he was running this liquor store, and, you know, and, and one day he, and he was kind of like in with the mob, and he owed money to the mob, and then one day he just disappeared. And I'm like, that's great. What happens next? And the guy was like, well, <laughs> I don't know, he disappeared. it's been 30 years, and he's never been found. It's like, okay, yeah. I can, you know, and that's a that's a great potential takeoff for a character in fiction, right? But it does right. it does nothing for me in nonfiction because I don't know anything about how this has ended, and you know, it will be it will be right. just really really aggravating to a reader if I then present this and then can't do anything with it. So, um, and then call oh, yeah, this I, tip I'm, line I'm, if you've seen it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, so I've always I've always been on the lookout for it, and it just the the right story has not has not crossed my path yet. I, I also I recently got you know so I, and I do hear from readers who you know say hey have you ever thought about you know and I I, I had one recently too, uh, and I can't say too much about it, but it was uh, it was a uh, what could I say a a woman who was a uh, one of the very first female spies in the CIA, right? And she led oh, this very, mm-hmm. very colorful life. I know, wonderful, right? And her family suspected that there was a lot more going on than perhaps she let on because she would, you know, make up these stories they later found out were made up of like, no, she wasn't really in Paris at that time. She was really in Mogadishu or something, something like that. But then the problem right, was, right. no, she, you know, this family member is now dead and I I tried to contact the CIA and there was no there were no documents saying what she was actually doing. Oh. So like you know that story has been lost unfortunately. You know you do need if if, if we're going to say this is nonfiction then you know I I do need You've some source be able material to track now. It down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know. Yeah. And that's I think where, about. Uh, um, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no no I was just going to say like uh, you know most of the time when I read nonfiction. That's what I'm looking at is, okay, what was their source material and where did, you know, like, so mm-hmm. a great example of that recently was um, a book called The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. And uh, it was a, a story of Churchill during the Blitz, you know, the, the Battle of Britain in, in World War II. And he, I don't know how, I need, to, I need to actually look this up, but like Eric Larson got his hands on some diaries of some people who worked oh. for Churchill. Yeah, and some like you know never before published kind of stuff, and I mean did a brilliant, brilliant job weaving together the story. But you know, as a as a storyteller, yeah, you need you need some sources and you need some stuff. And somehow he got his hands on those things, and and bully for him. So I'm always kind of looking for that sort of thing as well. Where okay, there's a not only is there a great story here, but it's a story I can actually tell. Yeah, oh, that would be great. I I always think of that immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, but mm, was such a mm. fantastic. Oh my gosh! And the whole time you're and reading, you, you're going, "This can't be real!" And then you're like, "Oh, it's real." Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? You know really what? Great. I absolutely and I, I very briefly met Rebecca Skloot 
and she's a, mm-hmm. she's a very wonderful, lovely woman, and she's very smart, and I hate her. You know why I hate her? Yes. Because do you know where she got the original inspiration for that book? It was that it was something her like her middle school science teacher had told the class about exactly twenty or thirty years before you know and he like why wasn't my middle school science teacher giving me great <laughs> tips for potential best selling novels like I, I can remember like you know like dissolving <laughs> things in test tubes or like dissecting frogs but there was not a any any shred of a best selling nonfiction novel in anything any of my middle school science teachers taught me and I'm I'm still pissed about that to this day. Right. We went to the wrong schools. <laughs> apparently. Apparently. Yeah, that whole that whole book was really something. And then at the end, she had written that part about the teacher and the class and and, you know, how it all came to be. And it was it was fascinating. I was it was really neat. I hope that something like that falls in your lap, because I think you would be awesome at that kind of thing. I'm I'm still looking, and if yeah, if if you find something, Lisa, just let let me know. I, I would I would love okay. to, to be able I'll to shoot you an email. Do something like that. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> but or maybe route it route it through my middle school science teacher. Uh, his name is Mr. Belote. I'm I'm pretty sure he's still alive and living in Ridgefield, Connecticut. So just you know, send him a note and then have him forward it to me, and that would be perfect. There you go. It all comes full circle. <laughs> So before we give you the time, what's next for you? What what are you working on now? So uh, yeah, speaking of science, there, it's it's a little bit of a uh, I, I wouldn't say sciencey book, but anyhow, it is a uh, oh gosh, see Lisa, my my elevator pitch for this next book is not uh, is not very polished yet. So basically, it is a a heretofore unknown hominin species that has been hiding in plain sight on a remote Pacific island. And an anthropological oh. team, yeah, yeah, so fun stuff. So an anthropological team has been sent to study this, you know, this novel homo species. So, so very human, like us, but not quite us, right? And, and an anthropological uh-huh. team has been sent to study them, uh, has fallen completely out of contact. And now <gasps> another team is being sent in to, quote, rescue them. So basically, I'm sending an anthropologist, four uh, special forces soldiers, onto an island with a completely novel hominin species. What could possibly go wrong, Lisa? I'm sure this what is all going wrong? to turn out just perfectly. Exactly. It's going to turn out great. Just their cell phone battery ran out, and they've been waiting for them to get there, right? That's all it is. Absolutely, <laughs> that's all it is. You've, 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 you've nailed it. Oh, well, there goes that twist. Son of a gun. <laughs> so, uh, well, it sounds book, fantastic, uh, like an updated island of Dr. Moreau or something. Right, right. Yeah, there's kind of some lost-type elements to it. Um, anyway, the, uh, the book is called Invisibles, and it will be out sometime. I actually don't have a date yet, but sometime in 2022. Oh, so everyone look for that. And it, we're, we're out of time, but I hope everyone will run and check out the new book, Unthinkable. It sounds fantastic. And thanks for coming back on, Brad. It was great chatting with you. Lisa, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. <laughs> okay, talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.